Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. This is going to sound real familiar to you. Please be gracious to me tonight because I feel like it's a word that we need to give to the whole body of Christ and those walking, watching by live stream. If you have not received one of my books, <laughs> that's the only book I have, <laughs> receive this book. I have some right here for you. They're free of charge. All I have to do is come and get it. A lot of what I'm sharing tonight will be from this book. So you come on down and after class and be sure and get a book. Also, if you don't have a handout, there's handouts for tonight. So I want you to follow along because I really feel this is a word tonight for the church. It's entitled, Bring Back the Glory. But to get started tonight, one of the movies I like the most... And I've always enjoyed the Robin Hood movies. How many have ever seen Robin Hood? Now, most of you, when you think of Robin Hood, you're thinking of Kevin Costner. He played Robin Hood. And uh, Russell Crowe, he played Robin Hood. But I can't tell you, those aren't my favorite people playing Robin Hood. Now, I know I'm going to date myself. But my favorite Robin Hood was Errol Flynn. How many remember Errol? You guys are old. Some of you are really old. Errol Flynn was my favorite Robin Hood. You know why? Because he had a sense of humor. Costner doesn't have a sense of humor. Crow doesn't have a sense of humor. But Errol Flynn had a sense of humor. He played Robin Hood in 1938. Now, you know the story. Okay, Sheriff of Nottingham, he wants to capture Robin Hood because he's been out there robbing from the rich and giving to who? Giving to the poor. So he wants to capture Robin Hood. And uh, he had a scheme. The scheme was he's going to invite all the archers from the territory, and they're going to have this big archery contest to see who the best archer is. And see, the Sheriff of Nottingham, he knows that Robin Hood is an egoist. And that he's going to show up because he wants to show how good he is at archery. So you know, you know the thing. And would someone get me a, <laughs> some water again? A little deal of water. I always seem to get dried when I get up here. So you know, you know the story. So all the archers in the territory, they come. And they're competing at the archery range. And you know it comes down, what, to two archers. And the one archer... Pulls his, pulls his bow and arrow back and he hits the target straight center. Well, let me show you. I am a professional archer. <laughs> what I aim at, I hit. I know I can from 50 yards. I can hit that target dead center because I'm dead. I can. I'm going to show you what a good archer I am. Watch me hit the target. Here we go. Here we go. I'm going to hit the target dead on. Dead eye akin. Pastor Ken, you must ascend. I must ascend? Yeah, what, you... what do you mean I must ascend? You didn't hit the mark. I didn't hit the mark? No, no. 
I missed the mark. You, you definitely, you definitely missed the mark. Yeah. How can I miss the mark? I'm dead. I can. I missed the mark. Well, what does that mean? It means you don't receive the prize. I missed the mark, and I don't receive the prize. Absolutely not. Do you see where we're going on this? Because Romans three twenty three says what? For all have. Sinned and then what? Thank you. Fallen short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All have sinned. Now, you know, this is not nothing, anything new. You know what this teaching is all about. The word sinned. You see, back in the day of Christ, when they had the archery competitions and the archer would pull his bow back and let that arrow go. If he didn't hit the target, the official would say, you missed or you sinned. And the word sin means, hamataro, means missing the mark. You sin, you missed the mark. And because you missed the mark, you will not receive the prize. So Paul said in Romans, for all have what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, if you're in my class, you know the answer because we went over this several times. So here's the question. If we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, we've missed the mark, then here's the question. What is the mark? What is the target? What is it that we're supposed to hit? What is it? And the answer is God's glory. There it is. What is the target? What is our life here, us tonight? What is our life all about? Ike, would you open that for me, this bottle of water here? Thank you. Why do we come to church? Why are we here? Why do we day by day seek to please God? What is life all about? What does God have for us besides a bottle of water? What is this life all about? From the time we give a heart to Jesus Christ until we are totally and finally glorified, what is this walk all about? It's about hitting the mark. Our walk from beginning to end, the target is that we hit the glory of God. We find the glory of God. We see God's glory in our life. Now, I have an interesting story about when the glory of God departed. I think it's in your handout. This is a bizarre story. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. You'll know, this, this is a familiar story. It's about when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. A crazy story. So I'm going to read it here. So now the Philistines, or Israelites, went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped near Ebenezer, and the Philistines, Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. This sounds like a lot like what's happening today. I need to stop right here. 
I don't know about you, but I've been watching the news, what's happening in Israel. My heart bleeds for both the Israelites and the Palestinians. And uh, where this is going to head right now, I don't know. But it looks like war is on the way. It looks like war is breaking out. How far is this going to go? I don't know. Where in prophetic utterance does this take us right now? Not sure. But we need to be in prayer for the nation of Israel and for the innocent Palestinians. And it looks like it's going to involve a lot more than that right now. Where are we at prophetically? I mean, if there's ever a question as to where we're at prophetically, we need to recognize we are moving towards the time of the end. How much time we have? I don't know. It's in God's timetable. This hasn't taken God by surprise. Jesus Christ is the only one worthy to open the seals in the book of Revelation. So he's at, he has it under control, but it just tells me we're closer to the Christ return than we were yesterday. We're coming there. Therefore, in light of his coming, then how should we live? What should our life look like? Well, here's a battle. Here's a battle that took place. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. As the battle spread, Israel was what? Defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. By the way, I, I picked this to teach before I ever found out about the battle going on right now in Israel. But it seems like there's something we should hear and learn. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Why? It's like asking, Why doesn't God answer my prayers? Where is God when I need him? Why isn't he defeating the enemies? Why isn't he fighting for me? Why do I feel so defeated? Where is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and kin? <laughs> what? Are we to do with the ark? They were defeated. What happened? Where's God? And then we have an idea. Let's, let's go bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save from the hand of our enemies. So the ark of the covenant. What does the ark of the covenant represent? Come on, you can... The presence and glory of God, the presence and power of God, the Ark of the Covenant. So here they are in battle. They're being defeated. How many, how many killed? 4,000-something killed. They can't understand it. We're the Israelites. We have God on our side. How come we'll be defeated? I know what we should do. Let's go get that. That represents the power and the presence and the glory of God, the Ark of the Covenant. Because when we bring the Ark, we will surely win. <laughs> so the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim. Now, this story gets really bizarre. And Eli's two sons, who was Eli, by the way? High priest, Eli. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. I need to bring you a little bit of history here. Israel at this time was not walking in obedience to the God of Israel. They had broken covenants. They were going after other gods. They were sacrificing other gods. They weren't following God's covenant. They were out of disfellowship, out of obedience to what God required of them as his people. And not just the nation, but 
the spiritual leaders were out of joint because Hophni and Phinehas were high priests, were priests in the temple. But if you read between the lines, it says they were having sexual relations with women in the temple, the house of God. And Eli, their daddy, you'll find out he has his own problems. He wasn't making sure they're walking in obedience to the Lord. This is the father, the high priest. So things were out of whack. They weren't spiritually where they needed to be as a people. They weren't following God's covenant. So here's Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and the, the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 5. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came to the camp, all Israel raised a great shout that shook the ground. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What is this shouting in the Hebrew camp? Because the Hebrews thought, by having the symbol of the presence and power of God, the ark, the symbol of God's presence there, they were going to have victory. When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into the camp. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Oh, woe to us. We will be, uh, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the desert. In other words, saying, wow, they're, they're bringing the symbol of this God. The, the gods that led the people out of Egypt. The, the, the gods that brought those ten plagues. The, the, the God that did all this to the Egyptian army, destroyed them. Oh, these, he didn't, they didn't say God, the God of Israel, but those gods are coming because the Ark of the Covenant is coming. What shall we do? Oh, what shall we do? And finally someone says, shut up, Cayete. <laughs> shut up. Be strong, Philistines. Be men or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Come on. Hey, come on, you Philistines, be men, stand up and fight. Verse 10. So the Philistines fought, the Israelites were defeated, every man fled to his tent. Listen, the slaughter was so great, Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers, and the ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were killed. Wow, what a story. Oh, there's a shelf. <laughs> but it doesn't end there. It's even more bizarre. Verse 12, that same day a Benjamite ran, ran from the battle line, went to Shiloh, his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his only chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of the God. When the man entered the town and told what happened, the whole town went up in a cry. And Eli heard the outcry and asked, What is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was how old? Can you believe 98 years old? You know, we just lost a dear saint, Ken Lair. You know how old he was? 98 years old. What, what, a, what a contrast. A saint of God that was ready to go to be with the Father. And uh, you just heard we have his service coming up. We just lost another great saint of God. That's um, um, John Munoz. Uh, I don't know if John's up there, John. 
John Munoz, and also um, Scott, who we talked about tonight, and uh, Dewey, Dewey Coffrin. He's been, went to be with the Lord. We have a lot of people. You know, how many of you know our, some of us are getting up there? Uh, don't, you need, don't raise any hands. But uh, Ken Lair, 98 years old, he's with the Lord. It was different here. Eli, 98 years old. And, uh, and, and his eyes were so set he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from this the very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? He said, the man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered heavy losses, and your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of the Lord has been captured. In verse 18, when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken, and he died. He was an old man and heavy. In other words, he was obese. He was not on a keto diet. <laughs> he was a huge man. So all this has happened. The two sons are killed. The ark is captured. Eli, the high priest, falls off his chair. His neck's broken. He's gone at the age of 98. And verse 18, when he mentioned the ark, or he died, uh, he fell off the chair. He broke his neck. He died. He had led Israel for 40 years. And here's the rest of the story. It still gets bizarre. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured, that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome in her labor pains. Verse 20, as she was dying, the woman attending her said, Don't despair, you have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. And verse 21, she named the boy what? Ichabod, saying what? The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark and the death of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Ichabod, the glory has departed from Israel. So I have a question tonight. When do we find Ichabod first in the Bible? When did the glory of God first depart in the Bible? And this goes back, if you have my book, you've probably heard this before. We go back to the Garden of Eden. So let me just share a little bit about what happened in the Garden from my book. God's relationship with mankind seems simple enough. God would love and care for his creation and provide for their every need. The only thing God required from his Adam and Eve was that they would love him enough. Say, love him enough. Love him enough to remain in covenant obedience to his divine will and purpose. Here's how it went down. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat thereof, what will happen? You will surely die. So in the book I say, what's the problem? 
How hard can it be to be obedient to such a benevolent benefactor? After all, Adam and Eve lived in a perfect world, in a perfect garden with perfect organically grown food, perfect figures, perfect teeth, perfect weather, walking in perfect fellowship and communion with their creator. It was literally heaven on earth. So what happened? What happened? So we're told that Adam and Eve had such great fellowship with the creator that in the cool of the day, so not just any time, but the most important, wonderful, comfortable time of day, in the cool of the day, they walked and had fellowship together. This is Adam and Eve with their creator, walking and having fellowship in the cool of the day. It was a regular thing to do. They had regular fellowship with him. Wow, what a wonderful thing. It was like a perpetual honeymoon for a new bride and groom. And then the Lord came one time and said, they hid from God among the trees of the garden. And the question I ask in the book is, why did Adam and Eve hide themselves? Hadn't they enjoyed their fellowship with God? Wasn't their time with him precious? Wasn't their walk with God something they look forward to every day? It's true for us. Don't we look forward to having fellowship with our creator day by day, fellowship and worship and praise and, and koinonia and fellowship? It's wonderful. But something happened. Something happened. I'm going to skip a few things here. So they had fellowship with God day by day, cool the day. Then Eve did something. They probably had looked at that tree. I don't know what kind of tree it was. We'll say apple, but probably Fuji apple tree. <laughs> they had seen that tree. We don't know how many years. We don't know how long it took place. As they day by day went by that tree, by that tree, they saw that fruit. It looked good to them. But this one particular day, as she's looking at this fruit, we know the enemy came and said, you know, if you'll just take a bite of that, you can, you can become like a god. You can have knowledge like the gods. You can, you can do that. Just take a bite of the apple. Well, she did. And Adam was with her, and she had him also take a bite of the apple. And the Bible says all of a sudden they were aware of their nakedness. Until this time, I guess they went around as, you know, without any clothing. They, they, they had no problem with not being clothed. But now... Something happened, and they're aware of their nakedness. So here comes the Father. Here comes their creator. And he's looking for them to have the fellowship they always have. And as he's looking for them, he can't find them. Adam! You think God knew where they were? Oh, yeah. Adam! Eve! Where are you? I can't find you. Well... <laughs> We're naked, and, and we're concerned, and we're hiding. You're hiding. You're hiding. Why are you hiding? Here's the key to Ichabod. Why could Adam and Eve have fellowship with the Father? Because his glory, the Father's glory, literally enveloped Adam and Eve. His presence, his power, his character, his nature, his glory. 
enveloped them. It was upon them. And what happened when they sinned, when they partook of that fruit, when they disobeyed the Lord's commands, broke covenant fellowship with them, what happened? Ichabod, his glory, departed. His glory departed. So they thought they could cover themselves by making some clothing out of fig leaves or whatever they had there, you know, I don't know, poison oak, I don't know, whatever they had. Make, they make these fig and cover their nakedness. But when the Lord came, he says, no, that's not how we want to do this. I have an, another plan for you. I'm going to cover your nakedness, but not with fig leaves. I'm going to cover your nakedness with some lambskin. We find out in God's word, probably the first, first recorded death in the Bible is when God took, no doubt, two lambs, probably lambs that were pets of Adam and Eve. They knew them. They loved them. They cared for them. They were pets. I mean, it's bad enough when you and I lose our pets. Our daughter just lost one of hers. She had to put her down. Had her for many years. And it's hard. You've been there. It's hard when you lose your pets. And probably these two sheep were pets of the family. And the first recorded death in the Bible is our creator taking these two sheep, killing them, spilling their blood. But when he spilt their blood, he took those clothing and he clothed Adam and Eve with the skins from these two sheep. We know right now it was symbolic that there was coming a day when Jesus Christ would send his son, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, to cover our nakedness and our shame. So, where am I at? So here's a great cover-up. Once Adam and Eve's sin was blown, they immediately took matters to their own hand. They tried to make new clothes to cover their sins. Uh, in this same passage that St. Paul had for early church, for he says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is by grace you have been what? Saved through what? Faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So Ichabod the first Ichabod, the first time the glory of the God departs is in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. So Christ comes for two reasons. Jesus, God saw this way down in history, the annals of time. There will be coming forth a Jesus, a Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Christ came for two reasons. To reveal God's glory to man and to restore man's glory back to the Father. Our whole walk of life, from beginning to end, is to see the glory of God restored in our lives. That's all in the book. So let's go on, see what this means. There was a man named Ron Sider. Get a drink of water. Ron Sider was asked this question by Christianity Today. And the question was, 
What troubles you the most about evangelicals today? That was the question. What troubles you most about evangelicals today? And here's what Ron Sider said. The heart of the matter is a scandalous failure to live what we preach. The tragedy is that poll after poll by Gallup and Barnes show that evangelicals live just like the world. Contrast this with what the New Testament says about what should happen to people when they come to living faith in Christ. There's supposed to be a radical transformation in the power of the Holy Ghost. There's supposed to be a radical transformation in the power of the Holy Ghost. The disconnect between biblical beliefs and practice is just, I think, heart-rendering. So in other words, we need, I'm going to ask some questions now. We need to walk the walk and not just what? What does that look like? If we're asked to walk the walk and not just talk the talk, what does walking the walk look like? Someone just help me out. Just, just bring it out. We're commanded to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Not just say, here's what we believe, but here's how we live. So what does it mean to walk the walk? Or what does it mean to just talk the talk? Help me out, Jerry. A little louder. So what does it mean for you to walk the walk? Love. All of our enemies. Forgive very quickly. Okay, let's stop right there. Turning harm around for good. That is walking the walk. Someone else, what does it mean to walk the walk? Ike. Okay, being a living example in every aspect of our life of what the Bible says we should be as Christians. That's walking the walk. And not being like the world. Someone else. What does it mean to walk the walk? April. Humbling ourselves to where we don't think of ourselves as being better than someone else. And serving other people as Christ served. Okay, good. Walking the walk. Someone else. What does it mean to walk? You're here tonight as Christians. So here's what we say we believe. But here's how we actually live. It's us tonight. This is what God wants of us. We're talking about restoring the glory that departed in the garden, that our whole area, the target that we're trying to hit is being in the glory of God. So our whole walk right now, here, us tonight, Bakersfield First Assembly, is to try to walk in that way that will bring glory back to the Father. Anyone else? What does walking the walk mean? Anyone? Yes, right in back, loud. Diana. What? Giving the word out is part of walking the walk, isn't it? Living the word out. Amen. Giving the word out. Ozzy going out in the streets, brother, and saying, prayer is free. 
Come, be prayed for. Salvation is free. It's giving forth the word of God. It's being what Christ has called us to be because we're walking towards restoring and bringing back the glory that departed in the garden. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. So how is this taking place? Just a few verses here. I think you have it in your handout. So on page 3, 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18. Listen carefully to this. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, what is there? There's freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being what? Transformed into his likeness with what? Ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is a spirit. So we know that transformation is progressive and partial. It's progressive and partial. Impartial. But when Christ comes, we're going to see him face to face and our transformation will be complete. Look at this, 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Say now. Now we are what? Children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How many have that hope? We all have that hope. And it says, if you have that hope, then what are we going to do? We are going to purify ourselves just as he is pure. Romans 8, 28, 29. And we know that in all things, say all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things. When our uh, son was killed in 2001 in a car accident. I'd only been there, I think, for six months. And um, got news that he had been in a head-on car collision in Fresno, California. He was gone. We were, I think I should have story before, we were in Manor 2 over here, got the call. And as we were in the car going to St. Agnes to view our son's body for the last time on earth, except for his funeral service, we were praying. Carol and I were praying. And we said, Lord, your word says you can cause all things to work together for good to those that love you. You can cause all things, whether good things or whether bad things, to work together for good. And our prayer was, Lord, just as on Good Friday, Jesus' death brought forth a life in millions, our prayer was, Father, on this Good Friday at our son's funeral service, we pray you'll take his death and bring forth life. And if you've read my book or heard our testimony before, at his funeral service, which I conducted, at the end of the service, I gave an invitation and had people come forward to receive Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. And if you've read the book, you'll know what happened. A miracle, a miracle took place when the invitation was given. And I said, if you prayed this prayer, come right now and stand with me right here as a way of saying, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You come and stand with me. I didn't know if even one would come. Within seconds, our son's best friend stood forward and stood by. Within two or three more seconds, others began to come. In total, 40 people, 40 people came forward and stood 
right here in the line, Pastor Steve Hunt was there, stood there, some of you were there, who gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. In other words, God took something and made it good. He took something. All things work together for good to those that love him. Out of our son's death brought forth life for over 40 people coming to Jesus Christ and give their hearts to the Lord and Savior. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conform to the likeness of his son, that he might be firstborn among brothers, and those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, those he justified, what did he do? So, what I'm telling you tonight is our whole walk of life, those here, Bakesville First Assembly, those watching by live stream, our whole life from beginning until end, when we receive Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we go from justification, just as if I'd never sinned. Justification, just as if I'd never sinned. We go from justification to what? Glorification. One of these days, we will stand before Jesus Christ. Be totally glorified in his presence. But right now, we're walking. We're walking that walk of justification to glorification. Almost done here. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. How many of you? No, never mind. Outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed. How often? Day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us what? Eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, listen. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen. What are the things that are seen? Who, who can, what are things that are seen? The visible realm? What else? Things that are seen. What? Huh? What are, what are things that are seen? Oh, my aching back. Oh, that's, oh, yeah. Oh, I got a headache. You know, I go, you know, my bank account. You know, those are things that are seen. You know, you know, you know. And this is happening in my family. Wow, these things are going on. And you know, I see what's happening in the world. This is terrible. You know, in the war, things that are seen. But here's the key. We're to focus our eyes on not what is seen, because what is seen is what? It's temporary. But what is unseen is what? Well, look at Romans 8.18, Amplified Bible. But what of that? Paul was talking about all, <laughs> all his problems. He, he went through this and shipwrecked, and he got stoned, and, and he's been beaten up, and he's been flogged, and he's been in the deep, and he's in the water. And he says, but what of that? For I consider the sufferings of this present time, this present life, are not worth being compared. Now, hear this. This is for us. This is for us tonight. These things that are seen, these things that are happening, things in the world today, the things in Bakersville, First Assembly of God, the things in Bak the things in our life today are not worth being compared with what? The glory as about to be revealed to us 
and in us and for us and confirmed, conferred upon us. Well, I'm about to cut some of this short. Let me just close it up here. So here's Paul's promise to the Colossian church. Can I tell you, this is God's promise to us sitting here tonight. This is God's promise to us. You don't have this in your notes. Colossians 1, 24 through 27. We'll close with this. Listen to this. Paul says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up my flesh with what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become a servant by the commission God gave me, now listen carefully, to present to you the word of God in fullness. I mean, we're going to get to that word. To present to you the word of God in fullness. In other words, what is this life all about? The word of God in fullness. Here it is. Verse 26 says, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints at Bakersfield First Assembly of God Church. Well, you may not have that translation. I don't know. Bakersfield First Assembly of God Church. To them God has chose to make known among the Gentiles, the saints at Bakersfield. Here it is. We're talking about the word of God in its fullness. What this life is all about. Why we're here. Why we're here tonight. Why we live every day of our life. Why we're going from justification to glorification. Here it is. I'm, I'm giving it to you. The word of God in its fullness. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, us, the glorious riches of this mystery. Here it is. This mystery. This is the word of God in its fullness. This mystery right here, right now, which is Christ in you. What? The hope of glory. Christ in you. The message from the Garden of Eden. When Ichabod, the glory of God, departed, God had a plan. And the plan was that eventually he would send forth his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who because of his death, burial, resurrection, would bring life to all of us, that in Christ Jesus, hallelujah, we would have the hope of glory. It comes through Jesus. That was God's master plan. We're part of it. So here's the question. Close with this. What is our hope of glory? What is our hope of glory? What is our hope of of glory. I missed the mark. I sinned. Because I sinned, missed the mark, I couldn't receive the prize. So now, how do we bring back the glory? How do we hit the mark, which is God's glory? Listen to this. What is our hope of glory? This is where we're going. This is why you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is why you walk in faith and obedience every day of your life. This is why you're saying, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, come glorify yourself in my life. Walk with me, Father. Help me be transformed to the image of God. 
the degree to which we look like Jesus, the degree to which we've been transformed to his image is the degree to which we glorify the Father. So what is the hope of glory? Here's the answer. It's more than just going to heaven and spending eternity with Christ. That, how many of you believe that's part of our hope? <laughs> We're going there. It's going to heaven and spending eternity with Christ. That's part of our hope. But listen carefully. It's once again seeing and fellowshipping with the very nature and character of God, his divine essence, that presence that walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It was a koinonia that Adam and Eve had with their creator until they sinned and missed the mark. But listen carefully. But through Jesus Christ, the Christ that comes to live within our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, through his death, burial, and resurrection, that glory has been restored for those who have put their complete trust and faith and confidence in him alone for the salvation. Bring back the glory. Ichabod, the glory departed. Bring back the glory. How's it come? Through Jesus Christ. It's being transformed into his image. It's following in obedience. It's not having just a symbol of faith, the ark, just a symbol. Well, we go to church. Well, we took communion. Well, we give our tithes and offerings. Well, we sing the choir. We play in the orchestra. We're on the board. We, we serve in the missions, you know. Those are all well and good. But it's beyond that. It's saying, Jesus, we make you first in our life. And the degree that we look more like you, Jesus, is the degree that we will bring back the glory. Can I say this one more time as I close? Bring back the glory. It's once again seeing and fellowshipping with the very nature and character of God, his divine essence. That presence that walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, it was the koinonia that Adam and Eve had with their creator until they sinned and missed the mark. But through Jesus Christ, hallelujah, the glory has been restored. One final thought, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship, say our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Well, you know what? Ken Lair's there. <laughs> Dewey Coffin's there. Our son is there. Your moms and dads are there. Some of your grandchildren are there, your loved ones, your brothers. They're there. Hallelujah. They're there already. And we've been called to seek the Lord Jesus Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we seek him to serve him, to glorify him, he will restore the glory to us where one day, and maybe sooner than later for some of us, one day, we will again have the glory that Adam and Eve had with the Father before they sinned. They missed the mark, but Jesus came so that we would hit the mark, the glory of God. Can you receive that tonight? Can you receive that tonight? Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Let's pray. I'll have to get a drink of water. So here's a prayer that David prayed. If you'll bow your hearts with me, bow your heads and your eyes. Listen to this prayer that David prayed. It's Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40 in the Message Bible. And here's what David prayed. Think about this. He said, God, teach me lessons for living so I can stay the course. Give me insight so I can do what you tell me. My whole life, one long obedient response. Guide me down the road of your commandments. I love traveling on this freeway. Give me a bent for your words of wisdom and not for piling up loot. Divert my eyes from toys and trinkets. Invigorate me on the pilgrim way. Affirm your promises to me, promises made to all who fear you. Deflect the harsh words of my critics, but what you say is always so good. See how hungry I am for your counsel. Preserve my life through your righteous ways. Father, our prayer tonight, we know that our citizenship is in heaven. We here at First Assembly of God, right here this night, and those watching my live stream, right here, we eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come and transform these bodies. Right now, it's in part. But Lord, there's coming a day when we will see you face to face. We will see you in all your glory. And that which was lost back in the garden will be fully restored because of you, Lord Jesus Christ, in our lives. I ask, Lord, you teach us teaching. There's some tonight that we all need to hear it. But there are some tonight that really need to hear this. Because what you have for them as they put you first in their life, as they're being transformed into your glory. Your word says we go from glory to glory. We go from glory to glory. We're transformed from glory to glory. There are those who are going to receive this tonight, Father, and you're going to take them to places they've never been before. You're going to take them to heights of glory that they never thought was possible. You're going to reveal to them truth from your word that they never knew could be revealed because... They've purposed in their hearts to follow you, Lord Jesus, and make you first in their life. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Therefore, each of us that know you as personal Savior and Lord, there is a day when your entire glory will be restored, and we will once again have incredible, eternal fellowship with you. We thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all of those that have this hope in your heart, say amen. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.